Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. Have negative impacts from anything that life throws your way. Maybe they've affected your job, your social life, your well-being. Maybe you're drinking more than you normally would. Maybe you're completely out of line and you really need some help or your loved one really needs some help. If you're struggling through the pains of addiction or alcoholism or a mental health disorder, Now's the time, now, right now, in this moment, is the time for you to seek some help. Let it be an opportunity to get back on track and getting back to the real you. You're not alone, I've been through it, many of us have been through it, and I can assure you, one of the best things I ever did, besides marrying my wife, the Jess, and having these awesome kids, and finding God, of course, was reaching out for help with my alcohol usage, drug usage, and getting some help. It changed my life. It can change yours too. And I have a solid resource here to help you do it. Promises. Uh, They're here for you. They can answer questions for yourself, for a loved one. Uh, They can give you the connections, the information, uh, the love that you might need. So here's what you can do. To learn more about Promises treatment options in an area near you or some of their digital uh, online treatment assistance as well, you can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. They've created a great page over there. Got some awesome pictures, lots of resources. Check it out. That's promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. And you can find it in the show notes as well. Or you can just call 888-205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from that sober guy podcast. All right, we're going to read through the Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin again this week. There's some good articles in here. I was uh, browsing through it very briefly earlier, so it's a very raw rendition of going down the list of articles and different uh, writings and thoughts from all kinds of different people in all kinds of different situations telling all kinds of different stories. So it's a great thing. I'll put that link for you if you'd like to subscribe to this addiction recovery bulletin you can go to addiction recovery bulletin.org and they'll send this to you uh, every couple of days uh, i'm not sure exactly what the schedule is that it comes out but it seems to be like it's every few days at least once a week for sure uh, but uh, don't hold me to that you can go on there check it out yourself and see let me let me say this too um, I just appreciate you guys. Thank you again for tuning in today. Uh, put an episode out, uh, last episode, episode 326. Man, we just get in weird moods sometimes. I say we because I got about five people up in my head, it seems like, sometimes going going all around in these different things and thoughts and feelings and emotions. And uh, there's a lot of it, especially with all that's going on right now. We're living in an amazing but crazy time right now. And so uh, there's a lot to process, a lot of different emotions, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different thoughts, um, and trying to navigate and work through some of that sometimes uh, for all of us, including myself, uh, can be tough. So I just want to tell you guys, thank you for the support. Thanks for hanging in there. We're all in this together and we're going to get through it. Let's start the podcast and have a little bit of fun today because what is sobriety without having some fun? That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to That Sober Guy podcast. I just feel like being weird. I am pretty weird for those of you who don't know me personally. No good just sneak to the 
boy Robbie singing from Humans. What's up, Robbie? Good stuff. Check out Humans music. I just had to hear this real quick so I get in the mode. Yeah. Be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, at realthatsoberguy. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning in today. If it's your first time here, welcome. So glad you're here. We're going to have a little bit of fun today. And uh, we're going to go through some of uh, the addiction recovery e-bulletin. Some great articles in here. Let's do it. Let's jump right into this. You know, this is a great way. Time for the serenity prayer to actually uh, put up on this little headline here. And let's start with that today. I think that's a that's a great way to, uh, to break us in. Um, I want you to take a deep breath real quick. I'm going to do the same. Right. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Ah, there's a certain peace when I recite that, when I think about that. Uh, it really reminds me that I'm not in charge. Ultimately, my way usually doesn't work out the best. And uh, if I wake up every day and have that mentality, uh, you know, my, my buddy, Pastor Tim, uh, Pastor Tim Nally, um, great dude. We were talking a little bit not too long ago, and he was saying that every morning when he wakes up, um, one of the things that he does is ask God to show him himself and those he loves, his wife, his kids, general people, uh, strangers in the light that God sees them instead of the way that he sees them or that, you know, for, if I'm speaking for myself, let me see Shane in the, in the eyes of God versus see Shane who, who has distorted thinking and, and messed up, um, personality traits and ego and pride and, and, uh, and happiness at times and anger at times and this, this life emotion Emotional roller coaster, should I add? Uh, that's how Shane sees life, right? And and some days are better than others, and some days are amazing, and some. But God sees Shane as a son, as a whole, good human being. That's how I would like to see myself. But it's hard sometimes because the mind takes over takes over from the soul, takes over from the heart. The mind goes, taking things personally, questioning, judging, wanting to know. So what's my point? You're going, where are you going with this, Raymer? So sitting back with the serenity prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Faith in God to do that. The courage to change the things I can. What can I change? I can change my attitude. I can change my perspective. I can ask God to show me Shane and be Shane through his eyes. I can change my thinking to that. I can change my responses. I can change the fact that I'd like to respond rather than react. Those are things I can change. And then grant me the power, God, to carry it out. Grant me the power to carry it out. I am powerless. I'm powerless. 
So good stuff right there. It's great to open with that. Um, let's talk about this first article uh, in Addiction Recovery eBulletin. And one more time, in case you missed it, uh, you can go, just to give these guys a little love, um, you can go to addictionrecoverybulletin.org and you can check out all the good stuff on their site there. And you can also subscribe uh, to the weekly email. So Alcoholics Anonymous struggling to reach new members during the, during the shutdown and expects a surge. Uh, AA founded in 1935 is seen by researchers as one of the most effective and least expensive tools offering treatment. Attending a Zoom AA meeting is a far cry from decades of AA tradition in which people would often exchange hugs and hold hands in prayer. Um, yeah, that's a great point about how many people have had a really tough time, especially a lot of the old schoolers that have been in AA for a long time, adjusting and adapting over to the Zoom meetings. Uh, and speaking of the Zoom meetings, I'd like to offer up a little resource that I do here often. Uh, if you go to www.zoomaameetings.com, uh, there's an AA Zoom meeting every night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, my good friend and sponsor, Buddy C, started it. And uh, in in turn, it's you know continued to be a solid resource for many, many, many people uh, that are jumping on that meeting. It's turned into a nightly thing, and he's been able to now hand it off and have uh, a, you know different people chairing the meeting every night. So you got a meeting seven days a week. I think on Saturdays, it's a speaker meeting. Uh, once again, that's zoomaameetings.com, a great resource for you, for you, for a friend to share with. So grab, grab that link in the show notes and share it with somebody or use it yourself, however you'd like to do that. Uh, please do. But back to the point here, a lot of people are having a hard time adjusting, including even myself to some extent. Uh, I'm on digital, I'm on the digital space a lot for work. Uh, so one of the things in going to a group meeting, whether it was at the church or a 12 step meeting, um, even just hanging out a little bit, you know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to be excited sometimes about that, about going into a digital space when, when, you know, you're already in a digital space all the whole time. So I, I think I'm kind of confusing myself in how I'm explaining this here. So in other words, if I'm working all day doing podcasts and in meetings and calls and just doing work on the computer for the most part, or in, in media production, post-production, all that, at the end of the day, it's great to go out for some human interaction and go to a meeting or go to my men's group or go hang out with my homies for a little bit, um, which some of those I can still somewhat do minus the 12 step meeting, which is for a lot of people, um, you know, there's people that go to meetings daily or, you know, a few times a week. Um, and so that's like a staple in social, um, you know, your social life and having some human interaction and having some support, uh, feeling good, have being around people that are good spirited and stuff. And when we're not allowed to do that, uh, there's a separation. Now, alcoholism, we all know isolates us, uh, you know, to, uh, to a point of um, very dark places for a lot of people. Some people don't make it back, you know, and now you add on, in fact, of that, the, the social isolation, not being 
um, permitted to go to meetings, you know, out of uh, fear, in my own opinion. Um, it's It makes for an extremely difficult situation for a lot of people. And so what's the alternative to that? Well, hey, we can go digital. We can do Zoom meetings now, which don't get me wrong, are uh, awesome, amazing resource, especially in right now, that there's still something that, that people have access to. But it's not the same as an in-person meeting. And so a lot of the old timers have, and, and I, sh- I shouldn't say that a lot of the old timers, like I, you know, just from a, a, a couple experiences that I've heard and talked to people, you know, it seems like it's an issue for, for people. And I, I even heard this before any of the mandatory digital stuff uh, or the mandatory no meeting thing came into place. I mean, because there it's, let's face it, Zoom 12-step meetings and other digital meetings, even podcasts, um, you know, those have been going on for years. But even then, even, you know, up to a year, two, three, four, go on from that, these digital spaces, a lot of the people that have been in the rooms for a long time didn't want to touch anything to do with them. Now, you know, a lot of people are being forced into this because there's not really any other options. Um, so let's kind of, I, I kind of wanted to dive into it a little bit more and see, you know, what, what their take is on how, um, they're expecting this surge, I guess. Cause that's something I wonder too, are people going to go back to the rooms or are people going to become accustomed to being able to sit, you know, in their, in their underwear, in their chair, in the comfort of their own home and go to a meeting, which I don't think is, um, in my own opinion, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm saying my own opinion. I don't think that is as effective for people as actually getting out, showing up, being around people, um, not being isolated. I mean, the only difference between sitting in your chair in your underwear sober and in, you know, from isolation aspect is you're still isolated, whether you're drinking or not. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 you're still not actively participating in, you know, having a social interaction with people. And that is what saves a lot of people's souls, man, like straight up that saves people's livelihood. That's what builds them up, supports them. Like there's an energy that we send off from each other as human beings. There's a certain wavelength. There's a certain spirit that we pick up on and it, 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 and don't get me wrong. There's a, there could be a negative side to that too. If you've ever met someone who you don't have a good feeling about, yeah, you got that point too. But for the most part, to keep it on a positive note, you know, when we're trying to be in the rooms, when we're trying to be around people in groups with, you know, socially, man, there's something about that that you cannot replace. Um, so let me read a little bit of this, of this article here too. My kids are screaming in the background in there. This, I mean, so, I mean, that's a good point there, right there too. Like I'm, I'm working, you know, um, and everybody's home. And so it creates this, I don't even know where I'm going with that. That's a, that's a whole nother topic. I don't feel like getting into it right now, but it's just crazy right now. Okay. That's what I'm getting at. It's crazy right now. There is a lot going on and in the honor of keeping this show focused on recovery, which to be honest with you is hard right now for for myself because there's so much going on that I want to talk about, but I don't want to dilute, um, you know, and, and, and there ha- this isn't the right platform for it, I guess to say. Um, and so I'm not going to do that at least to the best of my ability. 
Uh, let's let's jump in the article here. Members of AA say they miss the in-person meetings where people often hug and hold hands. They say the stay-at-home orders to combat coronavirus have created additional feelings of isolation, which those addicted to alcohol already are facing. That's what I was talking about a couple minutes ago. They're worried that people who want to join AA might have trouble finding a meeting or feeling comfortable joining a Zoom call where most everyone else generally knows each other, which can be a little bit intimidating too. A lot of the time in groups, um, you you have uh, uh, clicks to some extent. I don't know if it's necessarily a click, but a lot of people know each other. So for somebody new, it's hard going into that sometimes. But I will say if that is you and you're new, go for it because I've never met anybody who hasn't been welcoming and welcomed me in any new meeting or any new group ever. I just haven't. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great fellowship. Absolutely. AA founded by two Christian men in 1935 is seen by researchers as one of the most effective and least expensive tools offering treatment. Although as one of the most popular of the many community-based programs that take place in churches and other community buildings across the nation, AA has moved away from explicit religious ties. Still the steps, it, and I will mention, um, let's see, wait, 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 hold on, I miss, oh no, I, I missed that, my fault. Still the steps often hold spiritual meaning for participants. Several of AA's 12 steps refer either to a deity or to religious practices such as prayer. The steps include a kind of confession, asking him to remove our shortcomings. The final step includes mention of spiritual awakening as a result of AA's steps. Okay, why am I reading that part? I'm still not really quite sure. <laughs> I was trying to get to something else, and I think that that was a little bit irrelevant there. Let's skip down to the bottom here. Attending a Zoom AA meeting is a far cry from decades of AA tradition in which people would often exchange hands, exchange hugs and hold hands in prayer. Lewis R., who is keeping with AA practice was interviewed on condition that his last name not be used remembers taking down the folding chairs from his first meeting in 1985 at chevy at chevy chase presbyterian church in northwest dc where people would drink coffee eat donuts and smoke how the heck did chevy chase get his own church is what i want to know clark w griswold are you kidding me that's epic i had people who took interest in me and this is uh, Lewis. Is that right, Lewis? Yes, Lewis R. I had people who took interest in me and would spend time with me physically, Lewis said. We would just sit and have coffee and laugh. Sociability right there. I felt a wave of belonging. See? Feeling like you are important, like you matter, like somebody cares. That whole thing is missing now. Back to isolation. We got to get the rooms opened up. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. They need to be opened up, and if people want to come and they want to go and and they want to choose to um, live free and not in fear, then they should be able to do that. And those who would like to stay home, maybe they have conditions, maybe they are scared, um, no, no judgments by that, but everybody's different, and they should be able to stay home and not go. But this whole shut everything down doesn't make sense. Um you know, there's a lot of people hurting right now that are trying to stay sober. There's a lot of people that are suicidal, that are that are just in a bad way because they're not getting the support that they need because of this shutdown, and it, it needs to it needs to end. That's a, that's a great point Lewis is bringing up right here. Um, 
In the 1980s, Lewis said meetings were one of the only places in the city where people with HIV AIDS could get a hug or an invitation to go out for coffee. Once he was stable in his sobriety, he became a sponsor to those affected at a time when many people did not understand how HIV and AIDS spread. As most in-person and AA meetings are on pause or resuming with limitations, Lewis fear for newcomers who might be seeking the kind of physical connection he found. Yeah, exactly. What about somebody new who's trying to stay sober right now who's never been to that meeting? There are people doing it, by the way, I want to add. Um, you know, I've, I specifically uh, have a homie who obviously remained nameless out of respect to, to uh, him and his own journey, but, um, you know, he's had some recovery before, so he gets what it's like to, uh, you know, to, uh, to get sober and be able to go to meetings. Um, but still, he's been having to do this, you know, for over 100 days now in this digital space for the most part, and he's been able to do it. So there's definitely success and people benefiting from these. No doubt. I don't want to take anything away from that. My thought is though, to somebody who has never been in the rooms have, have never experienced that. Is this a good thing or is it a bad thing that they're not having the, um, uh, the personal experience the social aspect of being at the fellowship of being able to go into, into meetings and, um, you know, interact with people just like Lewis is talking about here. Um, so, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. It seems, it seems like in a lot of cases, uh, it, that it's, that's not a good thing. You know, um, it seems like people are, it, it, it seems like it would be a lot more difficult to stay sober, you know, to get sober right now without being able to have some of these programs. Um, but that's that said, so here we go. Every day he joins a 7 a.m. Zoom meeting to work on his step program, um, which he said provides him a sense of stability. So if you work the steps and you use the tools, it leads to solitude. He said solitude is where we gain appreciation of being alone or of being in our own skin and in service to others, which is huge. So uh, that's a pretty good, I'm not going to go through the rest of that, but I think that gives a good, a good little segment there of that article um, you know, with regard to Alcoholics Anonymous struggling to reach new members during, during the shutdown. So good stuff there. Um, let's see, let's go through some of this other stuff. Let me take a quick drink here. I really enjoy doing this and going through some of these articles. It is it is interesting. There's some there's some good stuff in here, and it makes for the the different uh, different format versus an interview or versus even just the the monologue type of thing. Because I don't I don't go through and really take notes on any of this stuff. At least at this point, um, you know, it's just kind of kind of going through it live. So uh, it is a good time. I hope you're enjoying it. Inpatient uh, inpatient treatment centers face financial ruin. Man. That is something I have been wondering about, what the numbers um, look like for people going into treatment centers. Now, I, I mentioned Promises Behavioral Health is one of our partners, solid partner right there that folks can reach out to to, have, to answer any questions, to get some help. Um, you know, have have talked to talked to them recently just about calls and if people are calling in. And I, to my understanding there have been a lot of people calling, trying to get help and stuff. So we know that people are still interacting. People are still reaching out. Um, but according to, according to this article here, um, 
It says prior to the pandemic, Reach, a program for treatment of substance use disorder, saw about 15 new patients a week. And mind you, Reach is going to be um, uh, its own program. So each company program, whatever, it, that could differ. This is just their opinion here. But they saw about 15 new patients a week since quarantine began. Hate using the word quarantine because it's just a mind screw. Um, that's been down to about five or more. So five or more from uh, from from 15 patients a week down to five or more. That that puts a pretty big burden on a, on a program like that or a company like that or a um, uh, client patient, whatever term you'd like to use. Uh, on that as well. So all so point being is all ends of the spectrum are being affected in something like that. You know, people aren't getting the help that they need. You have minus 10 roughly in that minus 10 people of what happened before all this went down. You know, those 10 people are not getting the help through this specific program. That's weekly, right? Let me make sure I saw that right. Yeah, 15 new patients a week. It's down to five. So 10 patients a week are not seeking the help. That's 40 patients a month uh, times 12. What's that? 120? 120 people a month just in this program alone are not getting the help that they need. Now, multiply that if you if you roughly, I mean, what would that number look like? I'm sure I could find it. I don't feel like searching for it right now. But if you a math whiz and you want to work that out, send it over to me. I'll read it on the show. What would that look like? How many people, what's the estimate right now, are not getting the help that they need? I could probably look it up right now. I just don't feel like it. I'll give you guys some homework. You figure it out. You know, go in and hit that up on your phone right now and and shoot me a message on uh, Instagram at real that sober guy. Tell me what that number looks like. How many people are not getting the help that they need right now? You know, that's a huge thing. Uh, and then when you look at it from uh, uh, the financial perspective, of these businesses, of these programs that are offering up help, man, they got, they're doing a bunch of, I think my neighbors are putting in a pool right now. So I have like uh, big trucks. You got the big truck, <laughs> big trucks going down the street and lots of noise. So if you hear any noise in the background, besides my kids, that's what that is. Um, in any case, inpatient treatment centers facing financial ruin, you know, that's just the headline. I'm not saying that there's truth to that or not truth to that. I don't know. I just know what I read right here. And there's about 10, pati 10 patients a week just in this program alone that are not getting the help they need. That's a sad thing, man. We need to open up the rooms once again. At least there's a starting point, right? At least there's a starting point. Um, reporting on a fall from $101,600 TV newsman to a drunk in the gutter. Uh, let's see. I've been wrestling with alcohol for more than half a century. Sometimes I'm on top. Other times I'm flat on my back, firmly in its grip. Exhausting. I'm going to wait for this truck to go by. That is a loud truck. Exhausting through the struggles is. Exhausting though the struggle is, I keep getting back in the ring. Oh, excuse me. Let's check this out and see who we're talking about here because Ed Mitchell. Let's see. Oh, man. Ed Mitchell was a successful broadcast journalist for Reuters, the BBC, ITN, and U.S. News Channel, CNBC. There goes the truck again. You can hear it in the background as I talk. 
See, I got a gate on the microphone for you tech nerds out there. What's it, what a gate does is when I talk, it opens the gate up on the microphone and you can hear like right now, you can probably really hear the background of this truck going up. But if, I, if I'm quiet, it closes it off a little bit. So that's a gate. Open the gate. Who do you hate? That's your date. Remember that from like first grade? <laughs> I tried to do that to my kid. Dude, I had a total dad. We're going to get back to this article about Ed Mitchell in just a second. But I had a total dad moment the other day. Anybody watch the uh, the very well-known YouTube channel, uh, Dude Perfect, where they do crazy shots and they do all kinds of gnarly stuff. I've seen a little bit of it. I heard about it. Some, I, I just recently heard about it. Apparently, it's been around for a while. It's really big, really cool. So we're in uh, the Target the other day, and uh, we're killing some time, wasting some time, looking around, grabbing a couple things, and uh, we go over to the sports aisle. I'm looking at some golf balls because I'm going to play some some golf here for Father's Day, and uh, the kids are looking at some basketballs and whatever, and then I see this hoop thing. And remember the little hoops that you uh, put on the back of your door? When you're a kid, you know, you can do slam dunks and you're doing shots and you'd play games with your buddies and stuff. And I saw one. I said, Cash, this would be awesome, dude. And I said, oh, look, it's perfect, dude. Cash, check it out. It's perfect, dude. And the kids are looking at me just like, and I'm like excited. Yeah, hey, hey, it's perfect, dude. Check it out, guys. Look, look, check it out. And then Lucy goes, you mean dude perfect? <laughs> Total dad moment. Got the name wrong, thought I was cool, I knew what was going on, big fail, epic fail, wah, 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 but it was still funny, so perfect dude, dude perfect, whatever, okay, whatever, I'm doing the best I can, the important part is I'm a dad, and it's pretty awesome, but in any case, Ed Mitchell was a successful broadcast journalist until alcohol cost him his career, his marriage, and his home. In a new book of personal essays about conquering adversity, he gives a courageous and searingly honest account of sinking into destruction and how and reveals how with luck and a powerful desire to survive, he has learned to manage his addiction. So what does that mean, manage his addiction? Does he still drink? I don't know. Now I'm curious. Let's jump into this a little bit. The drink fun connection translated seamlessly to life at university but it had other advantages too my homesickness my state alcohol my state school inferiority and the need to fit in could all be alleviated by consuming gallons of beer there was not a hint of it being a problem why would it be all in the crowd drank good blokes played hard worked hard got the good degrees and the girls those were the best days of my life then i went straight into fleet street as a graduate trainee with Reuters, hold on, I had an ad pop up there, stupid ads. Having a close relationship with alcohol fitted it, uh, fitted in perfectly with the atmosphere and ethos of Fleet Street, which in the 70s was still home to the main newspapers. The mantra was, get the story, get it first, get it right, get the drinks in. Huh, so sounds like there's some pretty heavy culture around that. You work hard, you go get hammered. Let's go over to the barn, get hammered after we put our story out, right? To me, an enthusiastic, impressionable 22-year-old, the best journalist displayed a worldly attitude, met their contacts in bars, and operated well while intoxicated. Wow, yeah, definitely a culture around that. Let's grab a couple drinks. I'm going to interview you. 
let's see what's going on. Let's have a good time. I'll get the story. I'll sit and probably drink some more while I write. Uh, and that's probably a pretty repetitive process is what I'm imagining. So basically, he moved to the BBC for the next 10 years, never felt entirely comfortable broadcasting until he had a few drinks. So he was drinking currently while on the job, had a few drinks to loosen up, getting just the right balance between cool, confident and slurring gibberish was always the key. How many of us have been there? Wow, that is that's pretty. Yeah, that's intense. You're on TV reporting, uh, reporting the news, reading the teleprompter and uh, you got to do it confidently and uh, without slurring your words. It's a tough thing. Uh, Occasionally, I was getting that important calculation wrong, and it was noticed. By this stage, I had a wife, two children, and a large montage and was commuting by train from South Coast to London five days a week. And my day handling these demands was by self-medicating through alcohol. Man. So I'm going to skip ahead in that, and you're more than welcome to go back and find this article just because there's a lot of articles and I want to move on. This does look like a a good one, and I'll probably come back and catch it when I'm done. Um, But in any case, ended up homeless, lost his family, lost his marriage. Um, It looks like today he's been able to find some refuge in recovery. Refuge recovery, no pun intended. Um, But how many of us have been there? How many stories like this have we heard? Before And how many times have we seen people who have been at the bottom of the barrel, totally done, totally exhausted, lost everything, and through recovery been able to find some some sort of freedom, and, and might I add, through God. Uh, so don't give up hope if that's you out there. There's always hope. There's hope in recovery. There's hope in change. There's hope in something higher. Uh, there's hope right now. With all that's going on, there is hope. You know, there is hope. The perception of reality and our actual reality are two different things. So keep that in mind. Um, let's move on to a couple more of these articles and uh, see what's going on here. DJ Fat Tony spent over $1 million on drugs before getting sober. Tony Monarch is a mainstay. I think I pronounced that right. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't. Real name, Tony Marnick. Uh, Maybe I did. Is a mainstay of London's events party scene, often providing the music. A lot of stuff out of London, it feels like, huh? Sometimes with the help from his friend and occasional DJ partner, Kate Moss. Tony is now proudly sonar. So DJ Fat Tony spent over $1 million on drugs before getting sober. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of intoxication, 19 Detroiters charged an opioid scheme. Four doctors, five pharmacies, and two pill, two million pills. Doctors are charged in a $41 million opioid scheme. Damn! Involving phony prescriptions, fake patients, and nearly two million pain pills that wound up on the street. This was all part of a plan to make money, authorities say, noting that doctors had plenty of help. That sounds like The Pharmacist. Anyone see that movie on... Uh, Netflix, The Pharmacist, it sounds very similar to that. Opioid scheme, the doctor was just writing prescriptions left and right. Um, The one guy who was actually a pharmacist himself, a a legitimate pharmacist at like a drugstore. I forgot where this was at, somewhere. um, Somewhere in the the south, I want to say. I can't remember exactly now, but... um, Yeah, and he and his son, his son died of an overdose. 
and and he went after he went after him for sure man that was a that was a pretty pretty good movie too the pharmacist check it out if it's uh something you haven't watched yet i believe it's still on netflix um where dime bags cost a hundred pharmacy chains sink deeper into opioid lawsuits Ohio has splashed a whole lot of more legal hurt on Walgreens, Rite Aid, Walmart, and CVS, companies that were already wading knee-deep in opioid lawsuits. The lawsuits put these organizations on par with drug manufacturers for their roles in facilitating opioid addictions and death. Why does it seem like uh, no matter what happens to any of these agencies, whether it's Big Pharma or the smaller smaller guys, uh, people still operate, still plenty of drugs, Still plenty of pills, still plenty of cocaine and heroin and everything to go around. I wonder if they're just the fall guys. I wonder if uh, some of these, some of these organizations, are just the uh, just the little guys who are taking most of the heat for it. But somewhere back at the top is uh, is where the big money, the big dollars, the big political uh, investments and political ties lie at the top i wonder if that's true Hmm. i don't know i'll have to do my own research on that and i would encourage you do your own research research i said that weird but do your own research i love one of the famous quotes by ronald reagan trust but verify it's a great quote right there you can trust people you can trust but verify (laughs) verify what you read what you watch what you hear We have minds of our own. We're human beings who are extremely intelligent. It's said we only use a very small percentage of the brain. I can't remember what exactly it was, 10%, maybe something like that. But uh, when we're spiritually connected, as we talk about recovery, when we're spiritually connected to something higher, there's a power that we possess that nobody can take away from us, that nobody can uh, uh, counter at the same time as well. They can't counter that, um, that spirit. And there's a spirit that's actively going on right now in some sort of awakening, some sort of great awakening, both in recovery and out of recovery that, uh, that we're seeing and is only going to continue to grow because good prevails in the long run. Uh, the ties that bind us marks two years of spotlighting musicians in recovery. That's nice. I got a, a, a few homies who are musicians in recovery and uh and even myself who never made it professionally in the business like these guys that i'm thinking of but uh, at the same time still a musician still love to play and uh, a lot of us who are musicians both who did it for fun um who made a little bit of money at it who made a lot of money at it who were professionals at it uh drugs and alcohol is a big uh, big part of that lifestyle so um it's it's so awesome to see uh, you know, people who are still in that business or who are out of the business, be able to recover, be able to put a life back together after living just this crazy lifestyle. Uh, as if, if this article goes on to say, as a journalist, um, Wildsmith began documenting his own journey from addiction to recovery in 2003, a year after finally getting sober, his personal columns uh, were as well received as his music journalism, which over the years included interviews with everyone like Taylor Swift, Merle Haggard, Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell, and more. Uh, so check that out on there. It's at more at PR web. Link will be in here as well. Uh, Hazelton, Betty Ford assured partners collaborate to ex- expand access to high quality addiction treatment. 
the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation has been designated a center of excellence for addiction treatment and related mental health services by Assured Partners, which provides health insurance benefits to people throughout the United States. So you can check out uh, Hazelden Betty Ford, a solid staple in the recovery movement. That's for sure. Uh, let's see. We rely on doom scrolling, digital first effects of social media addiction, doom scrolling. When a person spends an incredibly large amount of time looking at their devices and reading article after article of bad news, that's called doom scrolling. Let's check this out. Let's check this out. I like this. Doom scrolling. Interesting. Doom scrolling is the topic of discussion with everyone that's going on in the world. For some reason, many people just can't stop reading depressing news. Well, maybe that's because every piece of news is depressing. Did you ever think of that? Maybe because we're bombarded with consistent media barrage, uh, like arrows left and right, and there's constant pressure. And once something happens, uh, they run with that depressing story. And as soon as the, um, as soon as the fun runs out of that one, they jump onto the next one. Though, so there's a constant pressure. This is actually a strategy, um, and uh, it's 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 a very effective uh, strategy at that. Um, keep the pressure on, never let up, and then a tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. And uh, for those of you who are well read, I'm not going to say where that comes from, but you can look it up if you'd like. Um, don't become old news, in other words. Um, that gets boring. And so what do you do? You shift gears and you keep the pressure on. You never let up. Uh, that's a way to keep the people off balance. And it is addictive. People jump in and they want to read and they keep going. And then, you know, d depression, anxiety, the, you play a game of the what ifs, right? A what ifs are not a good game to play because that creates a, back to what I was saying earlier, a perception versus reality, which is not true usually. So when a person spends an incredibly large amount of time looking, oh man, I've had to put some tiger bomb on my arm here. Oh man, it's like all up in my up in my chest. Say it with your chest, Raymer. All up in my nose. My eyes are watering a little bit. I feel my throat tightening up. I need to take a drink. Hold on. We'll read this. Man, that's hot. It's not hot on my arm. It's hot on my face. I have something going on with my elbow. You ever had tennis elbow, anybody? I don't think it's tennis elbow. It's just from the gym, just doing certain movements, pull-up actions like that, um, presses, that kind of stuff, and whole elbow area, man, swollen up. I need to roll it out, but I had to put Tiger Bomb all on it a little bit ago before I started recording, and dude, it's just all up in my grill right now. Woo! All right, when a person spends an incredibly large amount of time looking at their devices and reading article after article of bad news, it's called doom scrolling. Have you ever wondered why you just can't stop reading terrible news? No, but I have wondered why these people can't stop bombarding us with terrible bad news. I'm, I'm wondering that. Um, yeah, but that's a whole different different story. Licensed clinical social worker for the state of Connecticut, Sherry Woods, told 22 News, reading anything that doesn't have to do with you can just be a way of distracting yourself from your own real emotions. In terms of reading bad news, Woods also said in a form of entertainment that people can sometimes relate to what is ultimately attract you to read more. That made no sense at all, but I'm not going to repeat it because I don't feel like it. The more time you spend on it, the more impact it has on your life. Dooms scrolling can possibly lead to severe depression, anxiety in many different ways. People can become dependent on social media, even with negative information in all they are viewing. 
yeah, the social media thing uh, is, is definitely a, uh, a, a psychological tool, uh, to put it mildly. And uh, when we're addicted to that, scrolling, uh, likes, the ping that goes off in your brain when you get a like, when you, when you see that, that wasn't designed by accident. Um, and uh, there's a disconnection. Uh, once again, I keep coming back to this today. It seems like the perception versus perception and reality the perception of this digital space where you have friends and where you have uh, communities and where you have people um, where you have uh, likes and and uh, support and all that stuff it is um, it is a digital space and uh, there's something about it that once again to go back to the beginning of this episode that disconnects us from our social, uh, normality as human beings. And it's, it's not a healthy thing. Uh, when, when we're, when we're stuck into it consistently all the time and we begin to depend on it, just look at, um, look at yourself and your own interactions with your, with your phone. Um, and, and I'm going to do the same with myself because I'm guilty of it too. Uh, constantly checking it, checking your email, uh, texting, maybe texting while driving. You can't wait to get to that next spot to do it. Um, uh, you know, uh, young kids texting hundreds of times a day, uh, families, how, how many times you've been out to a dinner or to a breakfast or somewhere and an entire family is on their phone or maybe just the dad or just one of the persons is on their phone. What is this doing? It's completely disconnecting us completely disconnecting us. Uh, and once again, back to the beginning of the episode, isolation. We talked a little bit about that, about not having meetings to be able to go to. We're isolated. We're isolating ourselves in these devices. Not a good thing all the time. Not a good thing most of the time at that. And, and I'm really starting to put a lot more effort, thought, and research into this myself about the effects it's having on our family in, in, in particularly. But the outer uh, society from youngsters up until, you know, middle-aged people like myself, even, uh, even into older people. Um, but the news, man, gosh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it can really do something to your soul. So be careful what you're letting in definitely. And, and be conscious of your social media use too. Uh, and, and we'll end this one. I'll move on. A great way to prevent severe impacts from engaging in negative news is to become mindful and aware of how much you take in a day. That's what, what I was just saying. Woods suggests setting limitations on when to be on social media and when it's time to put the phone away or turn off the TV. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I know it's easier said than done. Um, I'm, I'm definitely way more conscious of it than I ever have been. So even one of the tricks I've been doing is just at, um, you know, before bed, I'll even put my phone on, um, on, uh, air airplane mode in the evening time, just so it's off. I still, cause I use it for my alarm. So I still have the alarm on. Um, but, uh, I don't know. That's one little trick. And then just being mindful of it too. Even on Instagram, I've gotten off there quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, what I do is I do check it, um, you know, maybe once every other day, I'll go on there, see if I have any messages. And then I log out. Logging out seems to be uh, something, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not like it's hard to go back on the app. I delete it sometimes too. Um, just depends how I'm feeling in the moment. You go back and forth, man. It's a battle. It's a battle, this stuff, man. It wants, it's a war for our minds, like straight up. 
But even that small disconnect of logging out, even though, yeah, I can log right back in. It's not hard, but there's something there that disconnects. It says I'm logged out that removes that connection there. And it does help to get away from it a little bit. So that's another, uh, another good tip there too. All right, moving right along. Uh, Judas priest, Rob Halford. Oh, my, uh, hold on a second here. Let me bring that back up. Sometimes my computer will just close out like that. Okay. See, now I got to log back in. All right. Give me a minute here. We were talking about Judas priest, Rob. Um, I don't want to. Oops, that's the wrong one. Okay, hold on, guys. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And gals. Guys and gals. Hold on, guys and gals. All right. We're going to scroll back down to Judas Priest. There we go. Sobriety gives you this incredible strength. Uh, it's incredibly fragile. Strength is a funny thing because it can break at any moment. It's finding something in yourself that you can only find by going to the darkest of places. Rob Halford has decided to confess because it's good for the soul. So it looks like he comes and speaks out a little bit confessions of his own struggle. Um, Oh, let's see. Tommaso a filmmakers exorcism. He goes to alcoholics anonymous meetings and talks of the agony and ecstasy regarding seven years of sobriety. Oh, excuse me. Roughly the same amount of time that the notoriously partying friendly filmmaker has been clean. Check that out more at daily times. Uh, for love of family, Spencer Matthews admits lockdown would have been dreamed to get wasted if he was still drinking. Oh yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, what a great excuse. You can't go anywhere. What else are you going to do? Stay home and get hammered. A lot of people are doing that right now. It's sad. You don't have to do that. I want to tell you right now, you don't have to do that. Okay. You don't have to do that. Your loved one doesn't have to do that right now. There's a way out, but we got to reach out. And it starts there. The reality star, um, Spencer Matthews, previously revealed that he quit booze to save his family. Awesome. Sobriety is a lifestyle choice I made a few months before becoming a dad. He previously revealed. It's funny how kids can change a lot. you know. And it's also funny how kids don't change anything for some people. You know, it just, uh, I, I guess it's a, it's a good, um, it's a good example of, the person wanting to wanting to truly get sober for the right reasons uh, versus for other reasons. You, you got to want it. You need to do it yourself. No one's going to do it for you, not even your kids, although it is a big motivating factor for a lot of people. Good stuff. Uh, Kauai has a new plan for its vacant treatment facility uh, built on donated land with $7 million in state and county funds. Kauai's adolescent treatment and healing center would have filled a glaring gap for drug-dependent youth in a community starved for mental health and addiction resources. Interesting. More at Civil Beats. Uh, on the Ode to Recovery. It's in the OC Register. Two previous memoirs. Highly acclaimed Los Angeles Diaries. And tremendous follow-up to Rivers at the Bar for Addiction Memoirs. Um, 20 indications of an addict. Oh, that's an interesting list. He thought she was having an affair, but after digging through her phone and viewing her locations, he was quickly able to rule that out. Often when a spouse is hiding the severity of an addiction, the only evidence is to talk the way out of it. 
Huh, 20 indications of an addict. Let's see. Let's check this out real quick. This deserves a quick look. Um, let's see. This is at ProPsychCentral.com. It's also in the Recovery eBulletin, so just subscribe to that. And you can check it out. Uh, let's see here. It's not that bad. So here's 20. We're going to go down these fast. I don't have time to get into all of them, but 20 indications of an addict. Of an, 20 indications of an addict. I'm just going to read the headline. I'm not going to read the description. Number one, it's not that bad. Number two, I only use it occasionally. Number three, I can't deal with my problems without it. Number four, I can't. I can stop whenever I want. Number five, I'm not like he is or she is. She, they're worse. I'm different than, number six, I'm different than. Number seven, everyone else does it. Number eight, this is my thing, not yours. Number nine, life without it is boring. Had that thought before. Not true, by the way. Number 10, I just like how it feels. Who doesn't want to get high? That's why we get high. I don't get high, stay high. It's dank alumni, not mine, not yours. Didn't steal it. What's up to the homies? (laughs) Number 11, I can't be social without it. Number 12, that's a big one too. People find social anxiety get a little intoxication in them it's much easier Uh, but i can tell you here too from personal experience you can have a boatload of fun being sober number 12 if everyone is i have to too number 13 i need it to be creative man how many times did i get high and write songs i i get that but it's not true either you don't need it to be creative does it help to be creative i think to be fair in some instances yes is that a good thing no you know, or I don't know, depends on the situation, I guess, but I'm not promoting it by any means, but you don't need it to be creative. Number 14, I need it to relax. Number 15, you're trying to take away my fun. Number 16, it makes me a better person. Number 17, it hasn't changed me. Number 18, I'm not hurting you. Number 19, I'm still working, so it's not that bad. Number 20, the kids don't know, so it's okay. Hmm. 20 indications of an addict. That's a good one right there. That might even be a good, uh, a good subtitle here. Um, on the men star speaks for the first time about the crippling drug addiction. It's at daily mail, uh, wrestling the higher power road dog on maintaining his sobriety. I'm a lot more at peace now. I'm a lot more at peace. Now I attend meetings in Orlando. The company also Provide some resources for recovering addicts and alcoholics that are former superstars. So it's much better now uh, that are former superstars. Okay, great. No, I, you know, like at this point, like just people in recovery, uh, people that are dealing everyday people with all that's going on right now. Um, I don't know that anyone cares who's a superstar or who isn't or who is or who's famous or who's not. I know I don't. I could give two shits. I feel like a lot of people are feeling like that. This is about people. This is about um, truth. Painting the town sober into light seeks submissions for upcoming art exhibition on drug addiction. Rather than have our own loved ones forever defined by the disease of addiction and cause of their death, we wish to portray them in an entire in entirety, both the light and the dark into light. The goal of the project is to alleviate the stigma surrounding drug addiction. You can learn more at Mountain X at Mountain X. Um, a couple more and we're going to wrap this thing up today. I hope you're enjoying this, by the way. Hey, if you like this, um, hey, reach out to uh, Addiction Recovery eBulletin and, and tell them that, uh, hey, her, you know, that sober guy did a couple podcasts on it. Let them know. It's good stuff. It's good feedback for them. Uh, and also for me, reach out to me and let me know, hey, I like when you go through some of these new stuff because I'll start doing more of these if people like them. 
Uh, I don't know. I've done a couple of them so far. I enjoy doing them. I like looking at articles and what's going on uh, in the uh, recovery community and interesting stories and all that good stuff. So if you like it, let me know too, and uh, I'll keep it keep it going. At real that sober guy on Instagram, the best way uh, to to hit us up and uh, try to get back to everyone as soon as I can. Uh, grieving mom says lockdown played a role in her son's overdose death. That's very very sad. Uh, the cook went to rehab in 2016 and stayed in a sober house in 2017 to an attempt to stay clean. Uh, Holbrook said she believes lockdown orders designed to control the pandemic worsened her son's mental health and influenced his return to drug use. Extremely sad. How many stories like that are we seeing out there? It's what I was getting at earlier. We need to open up this community. If people want to stay home, they can. If people want to go out and not live in, in fear of this thing and, um, and you know not suffer mental health issues tenfold because of this thing too uh you know we should have the choice and be able to do that in in and i don't think that using common sense best practice and still practicing safe um ways of doing that it can be done you know but this is a great example of that this mom lost her son you know, and uh, God, it's a sad thing. And I know, I know the, the the response to that. Well, how many people, you know, passed away? These people lost their loved ones um, too on the other end of this from getting sick. I get it. It's a jacked up situation. I don't know that there's a specific one right answer. There's there's not. Everyone's situation is different. But at the end of the day, we should have the choice to choose what we can and can't do because we are the people. Right? Am I right? Quit vaping. Four-step, 28-day program to stop smoking e-cigarettes. Interesting there. Um, woman with two years of sobriety opens up about her relapse during the pandemic. I got more trucks pulling up next to my spot right now to continue digging out a pool, which I wish I could swim in right now because it's hot, even though it's not there. Uh, treating teen addiction with compassion and empathy. All too often, however, the focus is on how the healthcare system can benefit in terms of market share, revenue, and profitability. Very true. Instead of focusing on costs, many medical professionals are champion value-based care, which prioritizes patient health. The right tweets. Free meth addict to bird whisperer. A Reddit user is sharing a story of addiction and recovery, and it's touching the hearts of lots of Neetsons. In the last photo... Trox is holding a small bird on the tip of his finger. His sobriety photo is undeniably adorable. Uh, I don't really understand that. Not sure. If you'd like to try to understand it, the link will be in here. Poppy seed muffins could get you flagged by a drug test. Yes, I have heard that before. They they uh, Poppy seed, ti the tiny seeds may contain trace amounts of morphine and codeine, which can be detected at a drug screen to wreak havoc with your medical medical. Uh, care and I don't know what the exact amount is. Um, what the exact amount is uh, of poppy seeds that you would need to eat to experience that, but I'm sure that it's definitely possible. And I remember hearing that back in the day when I'd be trying to look into different ways that I could hurry up and beat this drug test. Was it taking a drink? Was it taking pills? I did that multiple times to pass a drug test. Um, and I remember hearing, don't eat poppy seed muffins before either. That'll ruin your test because that's why. Um, 
Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Don't eat the poppy seeds. Stick with the blueberry. I like blueberry. You would like a blueberry muffin. Who wants a blueberry muffin? I want a banana. Banana nut muffin. Banana. Strawberry. Blueberry. Choco Choco Chip. Muffins. <laughs> Has anybody... Okay, everyone's going, what in the hell is he talking about right now? Anybody seen the very famous, uh, and, and I don't know how many people have seen it, but millions... Uh, YouTube video called Muffins, where he goes in and muffin. What would you like for breakfast, Donnie? Muffins. I'm gonna have to put that link in the show notes just so you can see it because it's funny since we started talking about muffins. Canadian optimism experts say overdose app is not enough to save lives in opioid crisis. Former playmate Ashley Mattingly's cause of death was suicide. We lost. Another one. It's very sad. Um, man, prayers and thoughts to her family and all of the families out there that have lost somebody right now to suicide, to addiction, um, who are trying to go through this extremely crazy time right now. It's not easy. And uh, once again, why I continue to advocate for rooms being opened up everywhere. Everywhere that is possible, put it that way. Everywhere that it is safe to do so. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge goes on first virtual visit of treatment center. Interesting. Uh, and uh, last thing here, give a shout out to these guys. Joanna Cassidy supports the Real Recovery Film Festival. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, if you want to visit their website, you can check out any of those articles. Um, the date on this see this is for the weekend of june 19th through june 21st uh for this one if you want to uh, search it specifically um but uh let's see one more time you go to addiction recovery uh i'm sorry addiction recovery ebulletin.org i don't think i said that right earlier so let me make sure one more time addiction recovery ebulletin.org the link will be in the show notes you can check it out there. Thanks again for tuning in today. Uh, I appreciate you guys. You guys all help give me an outlet to be able to uh, talk recovery and speak about it. Even there's days like in the, the last episode where I was just feeling a little bit down and not about it. Um, you know, I'm right back in the seat again today. And uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you for helping to keep me sober, for being a part of my recovery. I hope the show helps you out. If you get anything out of the show, it's helped you, it's helped a loved one, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can share the podcast with anybody, and uh, that'd be awesome too. Love you guys. Peace, love, respect. Have a great one. Stay sober. Keep your blood clean.